Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Game Over Winnipeg. My name is Les Money, your regular host, and we're here to break down a real good win tonight. For everyone who's joining live tonight, thank you so much for being here. We got a good show in for you. Good show because it's a good win to cover, but also because we got a good guest with us tonight. Garrett, welcome to the show. For those of you who don't know Garrett, are you even a Jets fan then? Garrett's one of my favorite follows on Jets Twitter. All, all about that math. We got the the five hole is Garrett's um, blog. Is it that you write and you got all this, the good tweets you have, you show the numbers. We take a look. We get to learn a lot about the Jets players. It's real fun to follow Garrett on Twitter if you're not doing that already. Well, this is going to convince you to do so because I have Garrett for the whole show tonight. And we're going to talk a little bit about this Jets win. Garrett, how are you doing tonight? I'm pretty good. Oh, the whole show. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <That's my> <laughs> <last> <laughs> honestly i've always been super envious of people that have like those last names my last name's hood so like there's definitely some play on words that you can do with it but like five hole come on like you can't even script a better <laughs> last name than that but um we have a real fun one to talk about garrett give me your immediate thoughts on what this uh this winnipeg jets win over the colorado avalanche meant tonight um what it meant uh, it meant another another w in the in the bucket and one step closer to the playoffs um uh, but i thought the Jets played very well um, overall against a team that is pretty good. Um, not to, I'm going to try not to plug my own stuff too much, but uh, I did a little preview, and it's actually kind of funny because everyone thinks of Colorado as the much better team because you know they have a lot of those uh, star players and um, and also the not too distant uh, Stanley Cup win. But uh, analytically, the the two teams are actually quite similar this year, so. Always kind of interesting to watch uh, how that played out in this game. Interesting, yeah, and not that I'm too too familiar with um, like much about even Colorado's five on five metrics and all those kinds of things. But I believe that watching what we saw in tonight's game, there were moments where I felt sometimes I find that um, you know the five on five set up offenses and, and defenses kind of neutralize each other a little bit, where sometimes it's it's really the odd man rushes and all that that decide the game, but. I saw some really fun stuff from the Winnipeg Jets tonight at five on five. And dare I say from all four lines, um, just kind of uh, in total, I I saw them all playing decent with possession, which sometimes I find I don't see, especially from all four games or pardon me, all four lines within the same game Um, of the four lines. Who is your favorite tonight? I'm going to have to, I might have to say the fourth line, like they played really really well i i probably should actually bring it up so i can you know not just be talking of you know memories that could be biased or whatnot but uh let's uh just taking a quick peek at um when they're when they're on the ice uh oh i guess things kind of evened out a little bit in the in the third period because i was looking at it early on early on they were there was something like a 90 percent expected goal um, which, you know, they, fi- they finished off still pretty high with 67%, but, uh, they didn't finish quite with the 90%, but, uh, yeah, they, they had a good amount of the game where they were just really controlling the play and they were becoming very, very difficult for the avalanches, uh, bottom six to contain. Cause they're mostly playing against those guys and they just seem to kind of like run over them, especially like I thought that they all kind of played to their own strengths very well. I thought, um, uh, Baron and uh, Gustafsson, uh, both uh, the Gus Bus and Baron were kind of really showed their physical dominance. And of course, you know, there was that that very sweet four checks by uh, AJF when in the end of the first period there, which caused the goal. And like there was m- more than one situation where uh, uh, Johnson and Fialbi kind of showed off his speed and being able to be a lot faster on the four check than uh, the defenders expected. 
Yeah, so I, I thought they played really well. I I mean, analytically speaking, the actual best line was probably the top line. Connor Shifley and Ehlers. It's been a long time since we've seen. Well, I get. I guess it's only been since you know the Velarde injury since we've seen uh, Mark Shifley and Cal Connor duo actually perform well, both in goal differential and also in uh, shot metrics. So that's nice to see as well. Yeah, 100%. And I definitely uh, I want to get to them a little bit because I think, generally speaking, a lot of people did have some high praise for that fourth line tonight. And I want to say on the TSN broadcast, that's what I was watching at least, I think they're, they're little, they always have those little tidbits where they do the parts of the game and stuff like that. Someone, I think, I don't know who decides it. I want to say it's the broadcast team. They picked uh, David Gustafson as their player of the game. So shout out to him. I 100% agree with you. I just think that their their control on the pucks and, and their forecheck was really, really strong. And I think there was a lot of really smart little plays that led to them creating a couple more chances and keeping the possession a little better. And, and all in all, the, doing what you want a fourth line to do, which is simply be better than the other team's fourth line, which I guess if looking at the, I don't know if you said with the shot share, it sort of evened out at the end of the game there. But generally speaking, it, to me, they looked uh, pretty strong out there for the most part when, when they were out there. But so did the first line. And I do definitely want to talk about them a little bit. So this is, I feel like every show I come on and I say this, this is the third game we've seen this line together. This is the fourth time we've seen this team together. I want to say maybe this is game five or six of Connor Shifley Ehlers. And every game I start to like them a little bit more. What did you like from their game tonight? Well, I mean, one of the things that's nice is when you have a bit of a track meet game like this game was, is the weaknesses of um, that line kind of disappears a little bit uh, because all three of them are not exactly known for being the best defensive players. Um, I mean, sometimes Mark Shifley is, I think, is making a couple of steps this season to improve upon that, but um, he's still not like a plus plus defender. And uh, Ehlers and Connor, they kind of know what their strengths are and it's not um, in being, you know, shut down kind of guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, when, when it was a track meet like that, it, it definitely plays to their strengths and they're able to create a lot of havoc and were very difficult to contain. A hundred percent. And I think to me, they were one of the most impressive ones, uh, within Colorado's blue line tonight. I found that their puck movement was a lot and I've seen them they're, they're they've been kind of progressing to this over the last couple of games they're starting to get a little bit more comfortable playing with each other starting to get a little bit more exciting but I found that their passing wasn't so perimeter heavy today um, within that offensive zone and they were you know throwing pucks kind of across the ice finding some better seams cycling a little bit more um, didn't always end up in shots I know that's always an, an issue with that line is sometimes they'll have 45 seconds of possession and then they'll walk away with zero shots um but what do you think are some of the key parts that are kind of contributors to why that line can be so good and what some of their dominance comes from and the, the key factors to their success I mean part of it is the reason that they are just the three best players on the Jets I mean you you can debate Velarde might be able to compete to knock one of them out um but historically speaking before Velarde was on that's your three best guys and like even if they all have weaknesses and some of those weaknesses are being uh kind of overlapping uh, just the fact that you know sometimes you can out quality your uh, weaknesses which is you know sometimes coaches try to you know over or not overplay that sorry underplay that a lot, a lot. oftentimes you'll see them trying to you know gun for that perfect chemistry, which is why we saw, you know, defensive players like Eofalo and um, Appleton, although Appleton's not super defensive, um, even though he plays in a very defensive line. 
but you kind of see them trying those type of people first to try to like counterbalance the weakness, the weaknesses. But the problem is that, you know, while those players are pretty decent, um, they're not nearly in the same caliber level of as Nikolai Ehlers. And um, I think another reason is just because uh, while Mark Shifley and uh, Kyle Connor do get the puck out with possession at a high percentage, they also lose the puck in the defensive zone at a high percentage. Um, and Ehlers is one that does gets the puck out without that uh, um, high risk. Uh, Ehlers tends to be more high risk in his plays in the, in the opponent's zone, which, you know, is a little bit different, uh, which allows, so, you know, he's getting, he's keeping the puck out of the defensive zone, um, which, you know, kind of diminishes the risks of, um, Shifley and Connor, where they kind of sometimes play in the defensive zone, almost like they are in the offensive zone in terms of like their passing lanes and their soft touches, which sometimes isn't the best thing to do when you're in the in the D zone. Yeah, hundred percent. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. I I don't know if I you you have some of the most interesting metrics and all the, all the types of things that I feel like people are like, oh, I wish there was a number for that, and there is because I definitely would agree with that just from like observationally that Ehlers tends to make you go oh sometimes when he's in the offensive zone and making those plays but but not as much as or not to the same degree as as Kyle Connor and, and Mark Shafley do in, in their own zone but it's kind of a little bit of give and take there so if you can sort of neutralize it a little bit maybe it's uh you know a, a match made in heaven in that sense but um with that line staying together up top that left I follow Perfetti and Velarde on the second line which didn't last all game I want to say maybe partway through the second. I don't remember exactly when I noticed. Actually, yes, I do, because it was on a goal. It was on yeah. the the second goal, right? Was it on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they switched yeah. Niederreiter and Ayafalo. What did you think of the switch? Um, It's a pretty good switch in my mind. It's something that like kind of is more natural in terms of what I would have done if I was on the Jets or, uh, or making decisions on the Jets uh, just because... Um, I think Niederreiter is probably one of the most underrated players on the Jets. Um, just he's always been an analytical, analytical darling, quote unquote. Um, the fact that he tilts the ice quite a bit, um, uh, and like that that line has been struggling a little bit. I think in part because uh, uh, Perfetti and Velarde are both you know not the quickest of players, but they are very smart, so they're good at playing with people with speed. They know how to play off of fast players like Ehlers and Connor in them. Um, but Iafalo is more of a defensive specialist type player. He's more like a shutdown guy. Um, and he's also pretty decent at like, you know, being a net front guy as well. Uh, but Perfetti and uh, Flardy weren't really um, uh, being able to utilize him uh, while um, Niederreiter, you know, he's not like blindingly fast, but he's, I would say he plays with a little more pace than Iafalo does. And he's a little bit more, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? He's a little more, uh, ha- not hands-on, but he's a, he's a little more direct in his contributions in terms of tilting the ice. And he's a little bit more in carrying the play himself. Uh, so I think that kind of helped out the Vlardy Perfetti line. And I, I think that um, while um, Iafalo on the, on the Lowry line might be a little bit of a step down in terms of offense, uh follows like I said, is a pretty good defensive specialist. So being in a shutdown line type situation, I think um it kind of plays to his strengths. 
Um, you know, I, I think they did actually switch back partway in the thirds. I don't know if that was a, like a long-term plan, but they definitely did it for multiple shifts in a row. So I'd have to check that out. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, uh, you make a good point um, about kind of the types of players and the types of roles that these lines can take on. Because I know that over the course of the season, there's been always that 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 dilemma about the second versus third line, which one's the second line, which one's the third line, and also what kind of matchups they're getting tonight. Don't know if you have this pulled up in front of you, but I want to say, um, you know, whenever there were shift changes and things like that, I, I want to say I saw a lot of the Lowry line and the Shifley line out against the McKinnon line uh, for the most part when I was taking a look out there. And I think both lines for the most part did a pretty good job uh, of containing that line, generally speaking, at five on five. But I find that Colorado seems to be, from from what I observe at least, a pretty hard team to take the puck away from. They seem to control the puck really, really well. And I find that when the Jets were able to kind of gain that possession back from them, it was oftentimes um, at the hands of Colorado's own mistakes and stuff like that, as opposed to, you know, jumping on them and stripping them of the puck. But that being said, uh, I liked a lot of the parts of Winnipeg's kind of forecheck tonight, just kind of across the board. Obviously, the, the Axel Janssen Fialbi um, assist is kind of the the hallmark of that where I thought he was going to go for a change but he decided to go and chase his own puck and it turned out to have a nice reward to reap there but generally speaking what did you think of the way Winnipeg kind of forechecked against Colorado's strong defense tonight and how that kind of helped them yeah I definitely think uh putting the pressure on um uh Colorado was a was a good move uh Colorado's a team that plays very well with speed so you're trying to you know um choke that speed as fast as possible um, they're a very good rush team. So um, I thought I thought uh, the Jets came with a pretty, pretty solid plan of attack um, on on those guys uh, and, and to uh, to uh, kind of go off of your setup on your question, but not specifically on your question. Uh, bef- before before this game, um, the Lowry line was definitely the second line because um everyone would always argue which one line is the first line, which one, or sorry, which line is the second line, which one line is the third line, but Lowry's only, the Lowry line's only been third in ice time for uh, six games so far this season before this game. So I, whenever people kind of argue that, but I think if they're loading up their talent with, uh, with putting a uh, need writer on there with, uh, with Velarde and uh, Perfetti, I think that's because they're trying to gun some more ice time for that, for that line. So I think that kind of switches them. But sorry to go off topic. And yeah, no, 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 you're it's all good. Up there. <laughs> and I, I think it makes sense though, and I, I think that should be the goal, kind of eventually, is to really kind of not not limit that third line because as good as they've been, like that, their goal is to contain and manage and all those things. And you want to give that second line a little bit more ice time and a little bit more space to to score some goals, which is what you want them to do. Um, so I think that that's you know a really good point. That's a very interesting observation that they've only not been second as a line in ice time in six games. Fully tracks. I and again, this is not a real conversation point. But then, why do they list them as the third line on the depth chart? Then, I mean, the depth chart is done by, um, by their their media people. So I I don't I'm not quite sure that is. I mean, part of it. I mean, it could be that they aren't really viewed as a two and three line. They might view them both as, as like the line after the top line, and so then it's. Um, score state situational and the Jets because they have won more games than they've lost in because of that have been leading more often than they've been trailing and so that could be part of it um, part of it also I think was because they were kind of sheltering Perfetti a little bit in the beginning because they were not as confident on him as I believe they should be and Perfetti's kind of shown you know why they should be as confident in him as um, as 
they have been lately. Uh, so I think that's probably a large factor to it. Um, I think it's also because people just assume certain styles of of players or particular lines. I remember like the Stanley Cup winning Tampa Bay Lightning had um, everyone always kind of talked about, you know, Tampa Bay having the best third line in the NHL because even with uh, Coleman and Goudreau and or not Goudreau, sorry. Uh, but anyways, uh, the, the Coleman line and like Johnny people, Gord. People, yeah. And Maybe. Yanni Gord. And, uh, and like people are always talking about like, you know, them being the best third line in hockey, but they were almost always the second line in ice time. And it was the Stamkos line that was usually the, the third line. So it's kind of, I, I think it's just because, you know, it, people view the third line must be the shutdown line. So therefore, um, which, you know, it's kind of funny that like, I mean, the best, the best line that they had for a Lowry line since um, this makeup line was, you know, in 2017, 18. But you know that that line was the fourth line in nice time uh, because they had um, Mark Scheifele being the top one, and then uh, Paul Stastny was the second line, and the third line was Little, and then the fourth line was the Lowry line. Um, so it's and you know that line was playing just as good as you know the current Lowry line is. So you know that kind of it kind of shows you how, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's more than one way up the mountain. But, uh, yeah. Um, and the the funny thing is I haven't really been arguing. Like, I've argued a lot online about, you know, that Lowry line actually being the second line because they're used uh, the second most most often. Um, but the truth is that uh, I haven't talked about it too much because of the fact that I'm not really arguing against it because... I know last year when Larry, the Larry line was getting lots of ice time, both last year and the year prior, um, the Jet one that line wasn't playing as well. Uh, but also, um, one of the problems was the Jets were losing, and they're often trailing, and they weren't. And the reason why they were losing was because they weren't scoring goals, and they weren't getting points. And I was like, you know, you have this player named Nikolai Ehlers, who's one of the <laughs> highest scoring players in the NHL. If you take if you go relative to ice time mm-hmm. and they were, they were, you know, you're used to putting Lowry out there with Appleton instead and have makeshift run of players that aren't very good, such as, you know, Menelainen and a couple other guys. Don't um, talk about them. Yeah. So that stuff, <laughs> that, that when it was like that, like it didn't make sense. I was always talking about it, but then like when it's this year, when, you know, the Lowry Niederreiter and, Mason Appleton line has actually been really, really good. So, like, there's not really much reason to complain about them being the second line. So, yeah, hundred percent. And I think uh, in, in a couple games that I've noticed, like, like you said, especially the home games when you know they have control over this, it, it used to drive me crazy when you'd throw Sacramento line out there after scoring a beautiful goal, and it's like now you just lost momentum there because he chipped the puck in with his line, and then all of a sudden back the other team comes and all that. Um, but if you put on, like you said, that that Lowry line right now, especially when Niederreiter's on it, they're throwing pucks to the net and they're they're crash banging it hard. Like there were a couple times today where where Georgiev let out some like oh real juicy rebounds against the top line or the second, well the the Ehlers line or no he's on the first line now, the Perfetti line, um, where where no one was there to like put it in. It's like, oh, come on. Like, I know Nino Niederreiter would have been there if he was on the ice right now kind of thing. So I, I definitely um, know what you mean about kind of the, the refreshing piece that comes of having that line and being as good as they are right now. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. So people in the chat are already, uh, they're, they're talking a little bit um, because when Logan Stanley plays a hockey game for the Winnipeg Jets, 
Winnipeg Jets fans are going to talk about it. Because that's just what life has been for the last seven years or however long it's been. He draws into the lineup tonight. Nate Schmidt, healthy scratch once again. He gets the nod over Declan Chisholm. Immediately before the game even starts, you know, three hours ago, what were you thinking about that? Well, the first thing I was thinking was, okay, I'm not going to really talk too much about Logan Stanley because I try very hard not to talk about Logan Stanley. Um, No matter what, people are always, even if I'm telling just straight up facts and just the truth and like this is how things are, people will always tint things in a particular manner because the fact that I'm the guy two days before the draft that wrote that the Jets drafting Logan Stanley instead of either Debrinkat or Gerard would be a mistake. So because of that, um, (laughs) you know, turning out to be correct um, and trying not to be the person that's always bringing that up. um, I try not to talk about too much about Logan Stanley. Ironically, Logan Stanley had a very, very good first period, though. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did tweet about it. um, (laughs) I I pointed out that he was having like he had a very good first period um, and not just not just a good first period for Logan Stanley. I mean, like just for an NHL hockey player. I thought he played very well and he played to his strengths, but uh, yeah, not so much in the second and third period. Um, I don't think he was like terrible or anything like that, but it definitely wasn't of the same level as a little bit more of what, what I've come to know and expect with him. Um, I mean, he has, he has his strengths and he has his weaknesses. The problem is that uh, his uh, mobility in uh, all four directions causes uh and his sh- lack of shiftiness causes him to be fairly easily um, exposed at times in certain situations. We did see that with one of the Colorado Avalanche's goals against. Yeah, no, 100%. Score. And we're going to be seeing that number 64 on that highlight reel goal for a little while. And it is what it is. I, I questioned his decision making on that one for sure. But I agree. I commend his first period. And there are a couple moments where I, where I was watching him. And, and I'm having a laugh at Rick in the chat here who's saying our standards are too low for, for Logan Stanley and all those kinds of things. Uh, I need to screenshot this and like put it on a pin or something because I have never been told that my standards for Logan Stanley are too low. I have developed a little bit of a reputation of not always being the kindest to him, so I'm gonna be. Um, because I think the thing about Logan Stanley that drives me the craziest is just the fact that I feel like when people argue about him, they're just arguing incoherence in the sense that they're like, oh, since he's large, X, Y, Z thing without even understanding the stylistic player that he is. There were a couple moments in that first period where he had some nice stretch passes. Like, he, he could pass the puck out of his own zone really well. He's good at that. He's not good at you know, knocking someone down in front of the net or making a strategic hit on the corner boards, even though he's six foot seven, that's not really the style of play that he plays and is good at. He has some decent offensive instincts and things like that. And that, that's just kind of who he is. And there was one pass in particular. I just know he had a little bit of pressure in the corner and he took a little step up and he made the nice pass up to the free guy on the far side. No one was coming in. No one intercepted it. And down the Jets went. They had some good possession. It was great. I was happy for him. Um, but I think it's really important to acknowledge kind of the circumstances is around it. And I don't know that I think Logan Stanley needs to be playing a lot of games for the Winnipeg Jets, knowing what we have kind of waiting in the wings. But, uh, you know, regardless of the Villa Handle injury, that's kind of just only time will tell with that. But what were your thoughts particularly about him playing over Declan Chisholm tonight? And did you think that was warranted after last game? Or this is kind of like a nine part question, but what do you think the thought process was going on in Rick Bonus's head? I know he said that he liked Stanley's game or whatever, but it's always deeper than that. What are, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah. My, my first thoughts is I never take anything a coach says in the media because uh, it's basically they're, you know, they're using the media as propaganda in, in some, in some form or the other, not that like the media doesn't work for um, coaches or whatever, but you know, they're very careful with what they say specifically, you know, to slant people a certain way. It's not necessarily true or not. Um, you know, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, oof, I almost said something uh when it comes to logan stanley like yeah he's always been unfairly typecasted uh even like in junior like junior people are like oh you know a big shutdown guy or whatever it's like you know logan stanley's you know best you know statistical attribute um when he was in junior hockey was the fact that he had very very high shot totals um he's always been you know a guy that uh has utility um in some manners and the fact that he's, you know, pretty decent shooter. Uh, he's not never been a very good finisher. So, you know, he's more of a guy that you want to use to try to create uh, um, some juicy rebounds and tip opportunities more so than someone who's, you know, going to score like a pretty goal very often. Um, like for example, Josh Morrissey did today. Um, he's not going to get as many of those, but like he is a guy that, you know, if, if he was in your top six, um you can use him properly if you know you had a team that was pretty good at getting in front of the net and uh taking taking opportunities of you know guy that maybe you want to shelter and give him lots of offensive zone starts and stuff like that but yeah in terms of his actual defensive attributes haven't ever been that great um partially because of more of decision making than actual uh skill sets and tools um, he does have like, you know, with that size and range and reach, he does have a lot of the skill sets that could um, translate to being a plus defensive player, but his just decision-making um, just as, you know, in the last 10 years that I've watched him hasn't been at the, the point that he could be able to do something like that. Um, and so he does get typecasted wrongfully because of that in terms of like him versus Declan Chisholm, like, I mean, I haven't seen enough from Chisholm at the NHL level that would, um, say that you know he deserves a spot over Stanley. Um, I'm not saying that Stanley deserves a spot over Chisholm either. I I like I I don't see it being too much of a difference between. Not that I don't see the a difference between those two. I should say, um, but I haven't seen any damning evidence that would lead me to believe one way or the other. I guess is a better way to formulate it. Um, but, you know, like the other thing that I would say is that, you know, the evidence also suggests that, uh, you know, Schmidt is not, you know, a terrible um, player this year either. So, like, he's been the guy that's been the scratch choice every every game that they have wanted to get either one of or both of Chisholm and uh, Stanley in. Um, and, you know, I, I would still say that uh, um, Schmidt is definitely the weaker link um of many of the jets top six defenders but not to the point that like you know people should be desperate to move him out um it's always been him and pionk but uh pionk plays higher leverage minutes and he plays bigger bigger situations and gets tougher guys so like improving him actually would be a bigger a bigger benefit on the jets than improving on schmidt yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and i think the the Nate Schmidt is kind of, I, I want to say a little bit of a victim of circumstance in this case, where it's kind of just, you rank the six defenders that are in your starting lineup by how good they are, and whoever is the worst one 
by whatever standard, is the one who's going to be expendable and try to get those 7th and 8th defensemen in for minutes to no fault of his own. It's just kind of c'est la vie. Um, but I think that's a super valid and, and kind of, you know, a very level take to just say that, you know, straight up in the whatever, maybe 40 minutes of ice time we've seen from either Declan Chisholm or, or Logan Stanley, you know, kind of ignoring all other priors, which you shouldn't necessarily do, but neither of them have been egregiously bad or fantastically good in any capacity, so we kind of just let it play out. It is what it is. Um, but all things considered, tonight did not hurt the Jets to the point of, of losing the hockey game. They they big win against a division rival First game against um, Colorado Avalanche this year. First of many, I'm sure. We have uh, one coming up just next weekend and then a couple more in the spring. What do you think it means for the Jets to kind of be at this stage of the game? You know, we've had some ups and downs over the course of the year, but, you know, taking this win home tonight, um, playing and containing the Avalanche in a very good and exciting hockey game, just knowing that this division is, you know, within reach for them and, and how they should be feeling about this. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things the Jets should feel good about, um, not just in this game, but their performance over the season, um, not just looking at the wins and loss columns also, but just in general performance in most, but not all um, areas of the game. Um, in terms of five on five, you know, they have a pretty good goal differential. They've been outscoring teams. Um, they've been very good defensively. Um, they've been able to prevent... Um, both shot quantity and quality against. And uh, after a rocky start, uh, Connor Helbuk has also, Helbuk's been uh, very, very good. Um, now, uh, there are definitely some areas of the game that the Jets have to improve on. Um, their offense has almost been strictly just because of finishing talent and shot quantity. Um, their actual shot quality uh, selection is actually pretty weak. Um, most of the Jets' goals have been coming either A, from the left point, um, or B, uh, in in the uh, slot. Um, but the actual amount of chances that the Jets are creating in the slot are very, very low. Um, so, you know, if they were able to pump that up, that would uh, definitely improve their offense, and that'd be moving them from, you know, being a lower um, team that doesn't make it, or sorry, doesn't need the wild card to make the playoffs versus being, you know, the team that gets the home ice advantage in the playoffs. Um, that and special teams. Um, I, the penalty kill actually has un- underlying numbers have actually been playing pretty solid. Um, so uh, that's not too much of an issue. I think that'll clean up over the long term, but uh, uh, the power play could definitely also improve in terms of creating more chances. Yeah, no, 100%. I think those are all super important kind of aspects to look at as they they close out the 2023 part of the the season and move forward. Um, Looking just kind of to wrap things up, I have kind of a more overarching sort of question. Rick in the chat is asking about your, uh, you know, your thoughts on Velarde's first couple games back. And we obviously know that Vlad Nemesikov is out. Someone earlier in the chat was asking about what happens when he slots in. With everyone kind of playing as they are right now, except for the guys with injury, obviously, so specifically Kapari and, and Nemesikov, I'm not even going to throw Vela Hanel into this conversation because it's kind of a, a who-knows-what situation at this point, but what do you think this Jets team should look like um, as they move forward and look to kind of optimize what they currently have in, in their forward group? Uh, given what they have in their current forward group, um, there's kind of two ways that I can look at it. Um, I, I look at it either a kind of keeping things as they are right now. And then when you have Nemesikov come in, uh, you drop your follow down to the fourth line. 
Um, and then it becomes whether or not you want Kapari or the Gus bus um, on that fourth line with Baron and Iafalo. Um, Not that Iafalo has been a bad player, but uh, in terms of the Jets' top 10 forwards, I think he's the least impactful um, in a positive sense, despite the fact that he is impactful in a positive sense. Um, but also just looking at um, just the chemistry-wise, um, I kind of view Iafalo probably he's best suited to be there with the Lowry line or in the fourth line. He doesn't really seem to fit very well with Perfetti or, um, or the Shifley line. Um, Velarde in terms of his performance since he's come back, it's definitely has been a step down in terms of like his first couple of games here was really good. He actually fit very well with the Shifley line with uh, Connor. Now that was a very small sample, uh, but the results were very, very impressive. Um, so that's kind of the option two. The option two is, you know, you do bring uh, Ehlers back with Perfetti and Mestikoff, and then you put Flaherty back on the top line like he was before his injury. And hopefully that can kind of um, bring him up. But I, I do think I do think Flaherty will play well with Perfetti, uh, whether that's with Nemestikoff or with uh, um, with Niederreiter um, needing to be there to kind of make the, that line work out. That's kind of how I would do things. Uh, it does get a little messy with the Jets just because the way things are. I mean, the the easiest the easiest solution would be to turn the Jets kind of into the 2017-18 uh, Jets in terms of like how I kind of mentioned with Lowry line being the fourth line um, and you have three scoring lines, but to pull that off, the Jets would need one more top nine forward. So probably the best source would be like a middle six uh, center of high quality kind of like pulling off another Paul Stastny trade, but that's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think they have, they have some time, they have some flexibility and they have some players that have been pretty versatile uh, in this first quarter of the season that I think uh, Jets fans have, have reason to be excited. Um, so I will be back here on Sunday covering the um, Anaheim Ducks game. I have a couple of guests coming on. It's going to be real fun. Garrett, Thank you so much for joining me to talk about this one tonight. This was a fun game to watch. It was 60 minutes of good hockey, and it was, you know, really exciting and encouraging as a Jets fan. Before we sign off, let the people know where they can find you, what you're up to, and kind of, you know, why I brought you on the show today and all the amazing things that you work on. Yeah, um, so I'm, uh, uh, for those that do not know, I am I used to be a blogger, and then I quit to work for NHL teams and uh, also a player agency, and uh, then I'm no longer working those, so I'm blogging once again. Uh, I have my own Substack site uh, where I do three newsletters a day. Or sorry, a day. Oof. Uh, three newsletters a week. Uh, Mondays and Fridays are for free subscribers. And uh, Wednesdays is explicitly just for uh, my paid subscribers. Um, and I do track um, micro statistics such as zone entries, zone exits, and stuff like that, which I do to create as an extra value for um, my paid subscribers. And then, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter under my name, or, um, there's also the five holes Twitter. And then, uh, I also have blue sky. Um, and I'll eventually also have, uh, um, Instagram for the five hole, but the five hole right now just has Twitter and also, um, uh, Facebook. 100%. 100%. Well, that's that's perfect. Lots of different places to, to follow Garrett, see his work, and like you said with the microstats, it's always fun. He does, um, you know, we, we should be pretty lucky as Jets fans to have him here because he does a lot of the work specific to the Winnipeg Jets, so you get all of those extra numbers, all that extra context, and all of your favorite players. So make sure you check out the five hole when you head out of here. 
Everyone, thank you so much for joining us. If you're listening live, thank you so much for being here tonight. I know it's getting to be a little bit late here. Make sure you like the stream on your way out and you hit subscribe to SDPN. We're almost at 100,000 subscribers, which is really exciting. So make sure you hit that and never miss a show when it comes to the Winnipeg Jets or any other Canadian market for that matter. If you're listening back tomorrow or whenever you listen to your shows, thank you again for all the support. We appreciate it. We'll be back. The Jets have another two-day break between this game and the next. And we'll be back here covering that one as well on Sunday. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you so much for being here, and we will see you next time.